Welcome back, and thank you for joining the conversation today. It's February, and because it's February, I would like to talk about that four-letter word that starts with the letter L. That's right, today we're going to be talking about love. Before we get started on today's topic, I'd like to thank a few supporters and show them my love. Yes, I'm naming names because these are people that have encouraged, inspired, and prayed for me along the way. And if it had not been for a few of them, this podcast may have never gotten started. So in no particular order, I want to thank Pastor Richard Hampton, Senior Pastor of Turner Memorial Baptist Church in Stilton, Pennsylvania. He's one of my virtual pastors. I appreciate his teachings, his transparent delivery of the word, he makes the word relatable to modern day scenarios and his weekly sermons and Bible studies are broadcast on Facebook. He has covered me in prayer and was one of the very first people to encourage me to move forward in this, with this podcast. Apostle Edward Donaldson III, Senior Pastor of Kingdom Family Worship Center in Kent, Washington, Merit Special Mention. He is also a public theologian, author of many books, including the hashtag Black Lives Matters movement towards an intersectional theology. He's a lecturer. He's my brother in Christ, whom I adore and admire for his knowledge and insight. Pastor Gerard C. Lewis is one of my favorite TikTok and he deserves a special mention. He's a preacher, author of Elucidations and God's Garden. He's a Christian podcaster and educator. He provides Hebrew insights. He allows you to dove deeper into the scriptures. And I love the way that he challenges me to look at the scriptures through a different lens. I've also had the pleasure of taking one of his courses, which was every bit worth it. You can find his content at GCL Media on YouTube and TikTok, and you can go to gclmedia.org, which is his website. Elder Susan Hayes of Mount Joy Church of God in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where Bishop Denise Reynolds is the senior pastor, deserves a special recognition. Elder Susie Hughes, as I affectionately call her, is a powerful soprano and excellent prayer partner and a remarkable preacher of the word. I also want to give a special thanks to Pastor D. Williams, the proprietor of SheThriver.com. SheThriver carries the items that speak to the God inside you. She sells high-quality Christian apparel and goods. If you've seen my recent social media banners or season two podcast cover, you will see that I'm wearing a black royal priesthood hoodie. They are available on her site. I appreciate my hoodie, and I might have to get a second one because I wear it so frequently. She encouraged me to move forward in producing this podcast, and she continues to support and listens to it. For that, I am so very grateful. I also want to thank Camille, co-owner of FullyDressedAndBlessed.com. Camille is a worship leader at her church, 
and she is the founder of Sister Circle Facebook group. She encourages the members of this group to love and pray for one another. And on TikTok, she will welcome you to join her in worship and give you an encouraging word all while she is working on those orders that have come in. Camille inspired me to stop postponing the launch date and to go ahead and move forth. In the first season, I was wearing a black t-shirt that had the words, never underestimate the power of a praying woman. This is part of her line. She has other Christian merchandise, tees, hoodies, cups, tote bags, another great Christian apparel shop, outstanding customer service with high quality items. Please go and support Camille at fullydressedandblessed.com. All spelled out, no spaces. I want to truly say that all of these people that I have named today, I appreciate them from the bottom of my heart. And they are like special gifts from God to me. Each in their own special way have been a blessing. And what I appreciate about them most of all is that these are humble servants of God. They truly reflect the type of love that we are going to be talking about today. I pray that you will support them and their businesses and keep them uplifted in prayer. As I do every Super Bowl Sunday, I watch the game. Now, to be honest, I'm not a big sports fan. I mostly watch to be social and for the Super Bowl commercials. But let me tell you, listen, he gets us, which is a Christian outreach organization, sponsored three Super Bowl advertisements entitled Be Childlike, Love Your Enemies, and AI Love. This organization invited Jesus to the Super Bowl with the campaign of love. Each ad was designed to inspire us to love God and one another. Now, due to its ties to anti-abortion and anti-LBGTQI organization, the organization created quite a stir and sparked controversy. Despite the criticism, I believe their most effective advertisement was Love Your Enemies. Now, in case you're not sure which one that was, this was a one-minute ad that featured monochrome images of enraged individuals on opposing sides, an extreme hostility. It had this funky, bluesy music with a hit of gospel track playing in the background entitled Human, performed by singer and songwriter Rory Charles Graham, who is better known as Rag and Bones Man. Approximately 45 seconds into the advertisement, the music clashes with the sounds of sirens and people arguing. 
And then both the images fade to black and the music fades out. And out of that darkness, you see, Jesus loves the ones we hate. The music resumes, and we see the phrase, he gets us, all of us. Now, what really got me excited, what really drew my attention was the message inside the message. Did everybody get the message inside the message? Did you notice how the word us in Jesus' name was highlighted purposely? It was, we are in Jesus and he is in us. This ad was so powerful and so aligned with today's topic that I just, I I almost jumped up and shouted. I'm just going to keep it real. I was in the house like, oh my God. I was looking at my roommate like, oh my God. And she, she didn't get it like I got it. And you might not get it the way I got it, but I know the Lord speaking to me through that ad. Anyway, I digress. Let us look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 35 through 40. I'm reading from the NIV. Now, unless I state otherwise, all the scriptures that I read today are coming from the NIV version. And it reads, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love thy Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. The Pharisees, who had categorized over 600 laws, frequently attempted to separate the significant from the mind. So one of them, a legal expert, asked Jesus to name the most essential law. The Pharisees had grown legalistic and elitist, neglecting Israel's duties as being a blessing to the world. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 and Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 were cited by Jesus. Fulfilling these two instructions entails keeping all commandments. They encapsulate the Ten Commandments and all other Old Testament moral teachings. If we sincerely love God and our neighbor, Jesus says, we will naturally fulfill the commandments. This is a great approach to God's law. Rather than us focusing on what we should not do, let us focus on what we can do to demonstrate our love for God and others. If we are practicing or participating in bad conduct against one another, we will destroy ourselves. Paul compels us to walk in the Spirit. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Our comforter is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit assists us in our petitions intercessions, leads us towards righteousness, and bears fruit in those who surrender to him. The word walk is used 
symbolically throughout the Bible to refer to the Christian's everyday life. To walk in the Spirit implies to submit to the Holy Spirit's control, to follow his guidance, and to allow him to affect us. Walking in the Spirit will not satisfy our sinful nature's cravings, nor are we under the old Jewish law. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24 which says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who believe in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Fruit serves as the visible external representation of power in this passage. The traits of the fruit reveal the nature of the force that created them. What we refer to as the fruit of the Spirit are the spontaneous behaviors of the Holy Spirit in us. These virtues, which make up Christ's nature, are brought about by the Holy Spirit. We cannot gain them by trying to get them without God's help. They are the byproducts of his control. We must align our lives with his if we want the fruit of the Spirit to flourish in us. He must be known to us, loved by us, and remembered by us. What is our love language? Do we show our love through the words of affirmation, acts of service, gift-giving, quality of time, or physical touch? Don't try to answer this right away. Let it marinate for a moment. And while we're letting it marinate, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. And it reads, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clinging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can phantom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought 
like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. But now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul used spiritual gifts to demonstrate the Corinthians' lack of love in this chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 discusses real love, whereas 1 Corinthians 14 illustrates how love works. All the spiritual gifts used in the church are secondary to love. Let me say that again. All the spiritual gifts used in the church are secondary to love. Love personifies the ultimate objective of human existence. God's love created the world and is the reason he wants to spend eternity with us. We have a fantastic opportunity to love him back and to love others because we know how much love can change things for the better. Without love, strong faith, deeds of or commitment or sacrifice, and miraculous working power, very little is produced. Love validates our actions and gifts. Even though everyone has unique talents, everyone has the potential to make a major contribution. The kind of love Paul talks about goes against our natural inclinations. It is impossible to have this kind of love unless God helps us set aside our own natural desires so that we can love without expecting anything in return. We cannot manufacture this kind of love when we don't feel it. We gain it only through the Holy Spirit. We never love perfectly. Only Jesus can. Thus, the more we become like Christ, the more love we will show to others. Here's a question. What if we don't love people well? Paul provides us with a reason to be optimistic we just have limited and partial understanding right now. We can't perform anything correctly. In our love for others, we are immature like children. We, show, we shall learn to love people more as we get closer to Christ. We are unsure of how to love properly. Like a fogged-up mirror, we do not fully mirror Jesus to others. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. In this portion of the letter, Paul is addressing the churches on his first missionary mission in South Galatia. Galatia is currently a province of Turkey. Paul journeyed across Galatia on his first trip, sharing the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ and his resurrection. He emphasized how this was a gift from God, solely through God's grace, not a result of anyone's own efforts. 
Now, following Paul's departure, the Judaizers arrived, teaching the people that they could not be saved unless they converted to Judaism, obeying Old Testament law, and being circumcised. Paul's other letters, such as the epistle to the Romans, made it plain that he wasn't going to put up with this. He would not water down God's amazing grace to suit the Judaizers' teachings. This matter was officially settled by church leaders in the Jerusalem Council. So in this setting, we have Paul explaining to his beloved Galatians the distinction between living under the religious law, the old Jewish system, and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul, a former Pharisee himself, makes it plain that he has no need for the extras that Judaizers thought were required for salvation. Following the religious rule is not a solution for the Galatian Christians, according to Paul. They will only become the people God desires via the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul supports his case in this way. He lists the acts of the flesh and the sinful nature, the hatred, the division, and the fraction, which, of course, is what the Judaizers had created out of envy and selfish ambition, as well as the things that we might think as big sins, like auditory, sexual promiscuity, drunkenness, and witchcraft. Paul's point is that all of these behaviors are the outflow or the fruit of life without the power of God's Spirit. Paul says the entire law Paul says the entire law is fulfilled by one commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as oneself. Which goes back to the second greatest commandment, which we discussed earlier. According to the Bible, there are four types of love. The New Testament uses two different words to express the concept of love. Agape and filio. Ancient Greek have four words for love with fine distinctions. Agape means a general affection for people or things in ancient Greek. It is mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament. Agape means a general affection for people or things in ancient Greek. It's mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament. The term agape is used in a unique way throughout the New Testament. Christ exemplifies selfless, unconditional, profound love. Agape is God's love for his creation, Christ, and people who trust in Jesus. Agape is also the love that believers should have for each other. Filio is not as prevalent as agape in the New Testament, although it still signifies love. Filio is the fondness or responsiveness to people such as family and friends or activities that one enjoys. Philadelphia means brotherly affection and appears six times in the Bible. Eros, the term does not appear in the New Testament, but it denotes passion and desire between lovers or more broadly romantic love. Stargay, the term does not appear 
in the Bible, but stargate is generally used to represent attachment between family members, such as parents' innate love for their offspring. We all want to be loved, yet it's easy to forget to offer it to others. Some people conflate love with mutual interests, opinions, family ties, or sexual desire. Because of erroneous thinking, pervades modern culture, it might be difficult to understand what love truly is. All three members of the Trinity are involved in salvation. The Father loved us so much that he sent his Son to bridge the gap between us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Hebrew, second chapter, ninth verse, tells us, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to fill our lives with love and to enable us to live by his power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 tells us that, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. This scripture acted as encouragement for the disciples. The Holy Spirit bestows upon believers bravery, boldness, confidence, insight, talent, and authority. To complete our purpose, we need these gifts. John, Jesus' disciple, is another excellent example of love in action. The Gospel of John contains eyewitness descriptions of most of the personal events surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection in the New Testament. The level of information alone suggests John stayed with Jesus during horrific times. For example, John described Jesus' extended prayer on the night of his arrest, as well as the extensive interrogation of Jesus during his trial. At the crucifixion, John alone, with a few brave, devoted women, remained with Jesus. According to Jesus, John is the only individual close enough for him to be designated as Mary's new son. When Mary Magdalene proclaimed Jesus' resurrection, John rushed to the tomb and is the first of the disciples to arrive at the empty tomb. So let us examine what John has to say about love in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, 
if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and see a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. John encourages us to be more loving towards one another in this verse. He recounts the story of Cain who slaughtered his brother Abel when God accepted Abel's offering and not his. Abel's offering showed that Cain was not giving his best to God. Cain's jealous anger drove him to murder. The lives of people who are godly contrast with those who are not. That exposure often angers those who are sinning because they can see their own shortcomings. If we live for God, the world will often hate us because we make them painfully aware of their sin. Jesus warns his disciples about this kind of hostility. In John chapter 15, verse 18 through 19, which says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. While the world will hate us, we shall pass from death to life because we love one another. Everyone who does not love will perish in death. If we hate our brother and sister, we are murderers, and murderers have no eternal life. Are we comprehending this passage? If we harbor hate instead of trying to love, we are equated as being murderers. Because Jesus gave his life for us, we know what love is. Therefore, we should be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Are we willing to do that? John lived out his love for Jesus. John's love is sacrificial, not ostentatious or dramatic. It was demonstrated by his consistent and courageous activity. So many years later, he could safely write, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with acts and reality. Looking at these examples, we discover that love is greater than we often believe. Love transcends sexual attraction, family ties, shared interests, and intellectual connections. Love is more than all of the lovish sensations and experiences. It extends beyond our expectations and judgments of others. It leads us past the ways we believe we should be loved or how we believe we should love. Uh, this is why it is so critical to rid ourselves of incorrect thinking. Taking a biblical meaning of love to heart has life-changing power. Thank you for joining the conversation today. And until next time, God bless.